Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 83 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is Managing Hotline and Reporting Systems. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Before we get started, two points. First, please subscribe to our podcast and rate the podcast to help let other compliance professionals know about it. Second, the Volkoff Law Group provides ethics and compliance program services, including program design and implementation, assessments and audits, and integration planning, and audits for newly acquired businesses. We have extensive experience in this area and are frequently retained for our reputation in providing practical and targeted solutions that advance compliance needs, promote an ethical culture, and support business operations. If interested in our services in this area, please contact me at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Well, I'm glad to finally get uh, the time and attention to sort of focus on hotline systems. Um, These are usually the essential backbone or foundation of every compliance program. And what's interesting is with all the uh, focus on third-party risks and other types of sanctions risks and other things like that, that uh, there is a great source of information and a very fundamental process that is important to every company's compliance program, and that's your hotline reporting system. Uh, You'll notice in several enforcement actions where there's delays and delays internally uh, in sort of focusing uh, issues and getting senior management to focus on issues, the the really trend or the thing that breaks the back in terms of delay, delay, and obfuscate is usually a hotline report that comes in from a whistleblower. And then uh, the attention is raised because of the uh, stakes uh, that that occur when a whistleblower comes in. So the purpose of every uh, hotline reporting system is obviously very straightforward, which is to reduce employee misconduct and organizational risk by identifying and resolving allegations of uh, ethics and legal violations, uh, and to do so as quickly and efficiently as possible while protecting whistleblowers against retaliation. We want to encourage this sort of uh, self-healing and self-reporting system as a way to promote our ethical culture. And uh, importantly, ethics and compliance hotlines reduce the risk of whistleblowing uh, to an external organization. So if your employees uh, and officers believe that reporting internally will lead to a proper and just result, they are going to report the issue uh, internally and avoid an external audience. Now, obviously, that gets recalculated when there are financial incentives to go externally, uh, as we have in some whistleblower uh, programs. But a compliance hotline has to offer your employees a secure, trustworthy channel through which they can report potential compliance concerns directly to your organization. Now, the issue gets complex when you consider sort of how this is being done, what your strategy is with this, and how you're also monitoring it and auditing your hotline system uh, and how you can do this in a cost-effective way without uh, devoting too much personnel time and too much in terms of financial resources. So there are a number of sort of key issues that we have to look at here and how to navigate all of this. But I also start with sort of the fundamental process that, you know, a lot of individuals 
may feel comfortable coming forward through an open door policy. And if you promote that, which is great, uh, most people want to report internally and to their bosses, but others may not feel comfortable. And also there's no uh, reliable way sometimes to get suppliers, vendors, third parties to report incidents without having a hotline system. So some employees will feel hesitant about revealing their identity because of fear of retaliation or reporting a peer or a manager. Uh, and so these hotline reports and interviews become very uh, important. So we want to promote as much as we can uh, the reporting, every possible means uh, for people to come forward so they can report information and get the attention that it deserves rather than going to an external uh, reporting source or even turning to the media. So uh, in the hotline is going to be able to uncover sensitive situations um, and maybe in some situations employees will view it as a more attractive uh, mechanism by which to do this. So let's talk about the basic elements of how information is received, how information is distributed, and how records of complaints and investigations are maintained. Obviously, we have a number of stakeholders who have to be involved in this. Usually uh, HR, uh, because they receive the, the bulk of the complaints relate to HR issues that come in on hotline systems. Um, HR plays a prominent role as well as ethics and compliance, legal, risk management or loss prevention if you're, let's say, in the retail industry. And obviously the board of directors gets reports. Information technology is important in terms of uh, how it operates and uh, communications, obviously, internal communications are important. So um, it's really critical that we also use the data that's generated through this identify trends and incorporate such data into an effective monitoring component of our compliance program. So with uh, legal and compliance risks escalating and the focus on issues surrounding data privacy and cybersecurity, uh, ethics hotlines have to be reviewed periodically for compliance with applicable laws and regulations. So in this podcast, and it's going to be a, a little bit longer than usual because there are a lot of issues, I hope to provide an overview of some of these significant issues and give you some helpful and practical suggestions and advice, okay? So first, it's really important that the hotline be perceived as independent and credible. In other words, that the process is confidential and, if necessary, uh, anonymous. So calls should be answered by a live operator. Um, I've seen a, a situation where a voicemail system was retained internally, and that's not going to have the same kind of independence and credibility that's needed. Um, the more You have to have calls answered by a live operator, uh, as anonymous reporters are not going to leave voicemail messages for fear that they'll be traced. Um, and reports and related information has to be kept private and in a secure manner, um, and whether or not a reporter prefers to remain anonymous or not, it has to be secure. And the system should assign some kind of personal identification number or confidential identifier with, uh, for communications with anonymous whistleblowers so that there can be updates, follow-up questions, and communications um, as well. 
Um, the company has to prevent real or perceived conflicts of interest or fear of retaliation. Um, whistleblower hotline and incident management systems have to be operated and overseen separately and independently, and we're going to talk about using a third party because I think that's almost the way that everybody has to go these days. Um, and uh, individuals who could, you want to have an independent operation that you can cite that they are going to take in uh, this sort of, com uh, this important information. So most companies hire a third party vendor and they provide independence, confidentiality, and reliability. Um, but also external management, I think, of the company's hotline ensures both in practice and perception that the entire process is separate from and independent of any potential conflicts. Now, some companies manage it themselves or have case uh, managers who sort of uh, get involved in following up on these, and that their independence is really important to maintain as well. A hotline has to be universally acceptable and user-friendly. So first off, a hotline should be part of multiple reporting channels, uh, not just a hotline system. So you can have uh, what I like to focus on is having a hotline system and having a web-based system if people want to use that. Um, now with mobile technology, people are also taking in uh, mobile complaints um, so that we can encourage and provide as much access as possible, as many avenues as a potential whistleblower or complainant may want to use. We have to have 24 hours, 7 days a week, 365 days a week access. Um, and 50%, remember, approximately 50% of uh, uh, complaints come outside of business hours uh, because of concerns about privacy. And as a global company, we have to make sure we have international capabilities with full uh, translation and uh, the ability to speak to somebody who can understand the language of the employee. So we have to have multiple languages, and we have to ensure accessibility for international uh, callers. So it's a, there has to be, we want to make sure that when we hire a vendor for this, that all these capabilities uh, are, are inherent in the system. Now, the operators who receive the hotline calls, it's important that we have, we craft scripts and complaint checklists to make sure that we get as much information as possible in the call to try to get as full a report as possible. And these scripts should be designed based on the type of allegation, the source of the allegation, and obviously what type of company is involved. Uh, the more we can use professional skilled interviewers who are trained on the questions that will elicit the details needed for appropriate follow-up actions, the better. Um, the operators should never volunteer information. They should obviously use open-ended questions um, and uh, don't just read a script, but sort of having uh, making sure there's a checklist of issues to cover. Um, uh, callers to the hotline uh, should be debriefed, really, they should get open-ended questions. What happened? Where? Who was present? Why? Uh, in as many details uh, as possible. And we want to make sure that the hotline operator reviews the notes of the call with the caller to ensure that all points have been answered accurately. One good way to test your operators is uh, make periodic test calls 
to the hotline at different days and times and see how they do in terms of a report. That way you can sort of give some feedback to the vendor uh, in terms of that. Um, uh, so also we want to build around the hotline program a communication strategy. And this communication strategy has to be designed to create and reinforce awareness of the hotline, create a multi-channel campaign to raise initial awareness. In other words, open door policy, come report it to your supervisor. Um, uh, if necessary, report it uh, through the hotline. You can be anonymous as well. Um, we want to create materials that are in multiple languages so we can promote the hotline for the international audience. And we want to educate them, even train them on how to use the hotline. In other words, uh, some cultures, this may not be viewed as a very practical thing. People don't use it. But if we uh, go around and we try to sort of show people how to use it, I think that's important. Um, and we want to reinforce the independence of the uh, third-party uh, the hotline reporting system. So we now also want to make sure that we integrate it into a case management system that categorizes, tracks, and manages response to the complaints so that uh, proper resources are allocated, there are issues that are going to require follow-up, escalation, and ultimately investigation if necessary. So, um, and there has to be uh, tracking of reports via multiple channels, analyzing trends to identify broader issues or process breakdowns, and to make sure that there's appropriate handoffs between the hotline staff and the oversight or investigation follow-up teams. So uh, incident management then becomes critical in terms of after the information comes in, what are we doing? Um, we want to make sure that we have a good incident management system as part of any healthcare any uh, hotline system, and that is to make sure uh, that we can manage the cases and the complaints. So there has to be like sort of a workflow automation and process controls, and so we have consistent, thorough documentation and uh, the investigation and sort of monitoring of policy and procedure issues and violations and concern. Um, we also want real-time and historic uh, analytics, uh, as I mentioned, in terms of generating reports that will be helpful. Uh, we have to have on-demand, online reporting tools that are integrated with the hotline and incident management systems. We want to undertake regular trend analysis to detect widespread or repetitive issues and a centralized uh, database for to distribute among key players uh, in the uh, hotline process and the follow-up process. Um, HR compliance and legal need to be involved in formulating a complaint report distribution process and rules um, and ensure that the right people receive information in a timely manner. And I like to sort of double book it is what I talk about, and I'll mention that in a second. Uh, other departments such as loss prevention, audit, and security are also involved in developing these report distribution rules so that people get uh, notification of a complaint that's come in in their area. This ensures that the appropriate departments learn about the issues uh, relating to their performance or employees or anything else or areas where they are responsible for the substantive issues. Um, also, information technology should be uh, included in this process uh, for obvious reasons. Um, 
So where should the information go once it's received? And there have to be rules that are set up to determine what happens to the information after the call. Uh, I mentioned HR. But let's have a dual dissemination system. In other words, double book at least uh, so you can have, let's say, an HR issue. You also will notify ethics and compliance or ethics or compliance if they're separate so that there's a secondary layer of dissemination beyond the report sent to the person responsible for the investigation. So let's say, for example, there's a complaint about harassment. That goes to HR as the primary recipient with a copy to ethics and compliance as a secondary recipient. That dual dissemination then acts as a way to make sure nothing falls through the cracks uh, in terms of responsibility and follow-up in in that sense. So there has to be a lot of sort of um, overlap here. Um, for example, let me give you another one. Uh, loss prevention should receive report, reports regarding internal theft. Internal audit should get reports of vendor fraud. And security should get uh, reports of potential workplace violence. But then there should be double, uh, double bookings for each of those where they can share with each other. We also want to make sure that there's escalation criteria Uh, And by that, I mean, um, when do issues get escalated? When does it go above uh, to, let's say, legal and compliance uh, for uh, supervision of a serious issue? Um, There are certain high-risk situations that have to be brought up uh, uh, carefully, and those are what I call sort of the triage level of types of reports. That may be a cybersecurity one, an FCPA one, or Uh, these days, uh, sexual harassment or sexual misconduct. Um, There have to be regularly reports for management in terms of to track hotline calls, to track trends, uh, look for hotspots within the organization. Is there a division that seems to have more issues than others? Are there more opportunities for employer-employee training or increased management training to improve the situation? Or there may be an area that's exceptionally quiet. Perhaps the uh, hotline communication has not reached this group, or in other words, they're not taking advantage. So uh, for many years, uh, organizations have been using hotlines to detect theft and fraud with great success. Um, but, uh, and that's an important, an important aspect of any type of uh, hotline program. So let me summarize some uh, important principles. One, we want to have multiple reporting channels having both uh, telephonic and web-based reporting systems that give your workforce uh, uh, more options for reporting. And obviously, we promote uh, open doors, and we want to speak to people uh, as well. Around-the-clock service, 24 hours, seven days a week for hotline calls uh, and online report submissions. Uh, promises. Uh, You can't guarantee confidentiality, but the report itself will be confidential. uh, And that may change when, let's say, an investigation has started. Uh, But also anonymous reporting is permitted as well. Uh, We obviously don't like anonymous reporting as much uh, because we're worried about the um, non-substantiation rates. But it's nonetheless something that's important to offer as an alternative. Detailed reporting Uh, security measures, uh, even though a hotline has to be confidential and anonymous, uh, the information that is entered in the reporting system has to be protected. So security measures have to comply with GDPR, HIPAA, 
other types of uh, data security type of requirements. Having a third-party uh, vendor is really, most people are using third parties and not running it internally, uh, and it strengthens the confidentiality and anonymity of the service uh, as well. Um, multilingual reporting also uh, and multilingual services are critical. Um, and it's also, one thing I wanted to also point out is Single purpose, not multi hotlines for different purposes are important. In other words, have one hotline that takes in all complaints and promote the heck out of that one hotline and, and the number and everything. Web-based is only to supplement rather than uh, uh, as an alternative. And uh, some people like using web-based reporting uh, as opposed to calling in. Um, and obviously, we promote in-person reporting as much as we can. Um, but it is an avenue, a hotline is an avenue of last resort, and it doesn't supplant the usual reporting up the chain of command or to HR. Remember, again, most calls are received outside the business, uh, business hours, um, so we want to see that. We mentioned data security, and I want to get to one other issue uh, which is uh, whistleblowing hotlines have to comply with international regulations. And I mentioned GDPR domestically, there's HIPAA. And uh, so we have to make sure that we take full advantage of looking at our system and comparing it to GDPR requirements. We also in various countries have uh, regulations that are changing on a country by country basis uh, in France and Spain. Uh, and so we want to be careful as to that. I also want to point out a couple of other things. Prioritize your significant risks, sexual harassment, assault, fraud, conflict of interest, and bribery sanctions issues are all significant risks. Those kind of complaints should be triaged and they should be dealt with in a sort of a focused way uh, so that they're done quickly and done uh, as best as possible. Let's talk about monitoring and issues that come up. Um, too many calls is not good news, but very few calls is not good news either. I can make an argument either way. Um, so I like to see a growth, a steady growth or confidence in the system, but I don't want to see it supplant or overtake uh, in-person reporting. Um, there are a lot of factors that influence call volume and types of calls. For example, the industry risk areas, what your workforce looks like, how well the reporting system is advertised, are alternate reporting channels available, the geographic location, and the organizational culture of uh, the workers. So context is uh, the best way to sort of monitor your program, in my view, is to look at internal benchmarking. In other words, follow your trends of your data uh, on a regular basis. Look at the types of reports and call categories, allegations versus inquiries, anonymous versus named reporters, sources and allegation types by you know what groups, locations, businesses, services substantiation percentages for both named and anonymous reports, what discipline or remediation actions, how quickly the cases are getting resolved, online versus telephone reports, uh, source of awareness, and follow-up contacts from anonymous callers. 
Other useful reviews equals is definitely geographic locations, the levels of employees you're calling, the characteristics of your anonymous calls, and your comparisons against quarter by quarter, year by year, of how the data is, is, is uh, coming out. One thing to use is don't. Uh, a lot of people tend to calculate averages. I wouldn't do that. I would use medians and ranges. The median is sort of the midpoint of the data, and it eliminates skewing the data to a large business uh, organization um, in terms of uh, business unit size. Um, so I want to see sort of median data as particular as I can get to it. Um, it just uh, and ranges. Ranges are important as well because they capture the sort of full spectrum of experiences. Um, what can cause changes in reporting trends? Well, training and communications initiatives. Uh, if you publish your internal cases and disciplinary actions somehow or pub publicize them, obviously with due regard for privacy. Internal restructuring, management changes, policy changes, mergers or acquisitions, regulatory changes, uh, news articles about compliance scandals or a scandal in, in the industry. The other thing I wanted to point out is to always look at external benchmarking sources. One great source is Navex Global's annual uh, whistleblowing uh, report uh, and benchmarking report. It has great data in it, and it's good to compare your organization to that data. I'm not saying it's a one-for-one -one equal comparison, but there definitely are important trends to watch there in terms of reporting, substantiation rates, and things like that. Let me take a moment just to, before we close out, talk about GDPR. And GDPR obviously can come into a situation here, and a hotline provider has to both reassure and demonstrate to you uh, that what they're doing to make sure that they're GDPR compliant. So we need reassurances regarding the system and associated processes uh, to make sure that everything is being done in accordance with GDPR requirements. Um, uh, look, the GDPR, we know its focus is on personal data, EU personal data, and it, um, a lot of it focuses on you know, minimization of the use and the intrusion in the use of uh, certain processes that have to be uh, taking, the you know, processing that has to occur. And we also have sort of rights of individuals to demand uh, uh, deletion of their data or redact, and we have to take necessary steps to do that to comply with such as that. But we also have regulatory requirements in the EU that apply with regard to protection of whistleblowers, and that brings about some little uh, tension when we get uh, complaints that come in. For example, we uh, are under obligations not to retaliate against a whistleblower. Um, and we have to be careful in terms of uh, making sure that we have a duty of care uh, as to and exercise our duty of care with regard to the protection of that whistleblower's identity. Um, so there's some conflicts between personal data protection imperatives and sort of whistleblowing mechanisms. Um, but personal data has, can be really part of the whistleblowing process in two ways. The personal data of the whistleblower submitting the report, in case it wasn't done anonymously, 
and or personal data of third parties shared by the whistleblower in the report. Now, principles of data processing under the GDPR requires that it ha- the data has to be processed lawfully, fairly, and in a transparent manner in relation to the data subject. Um, and here we get into uh, an I- interesting issue is when you're conducting an investigation um, and you're using that third party's data, are you in somehow limited in your ability to uh, use that uh, data? But we, we want to make sure here that uh, we keep very tight control and security relating to third-party data, and I've mentioned that already as a principle. Um, And we also want to make sure that a a data subject, let's say an employee, as part of their onboarding process and consent uh, as an employee, uh, that there are appropriate uh, protections there and provisions there with regard to Uh, consent as to these types of issues, because there are real dangers, for example, if you go out and notify people that, uh, by the way, we have your personal data in our hotline system right now because a whistleblower reported you, obviously that's going to undermine and be contrary to a lawful ability to conduct an investigation and would obviously jeopardize the investigation. So uh, that's just not going to happen But what it does mean is when you get to a point where there are uh, non-substantiated allegations and you have third-party data in there and the case is closed at that point, there are definite requirements uh, in terms of how to do uh, to manage that data. So obviously this is a complicated area and requires uh, sort of more analysis and uh, refinement as the GDPR Uh, regulations and countries sort of deal with uh, these hotline issues as they come up. But it's something that everybody should be um, attuned to and try to uh, address as soon as possible. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At Ethical Companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.volcox.com.